If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. So today we're going to try something probably a little bit different than we've done in the past. I have a special guest on who's a friend of mine, and we're going to try. Uh, I'm still going to go through what I usually go through, digging in what a... Uh, uh, into the background of, of my guests, but uh, since uh, this person's a friend, uh, we're going to try a new possible concept. We're just going to talk <laughs> and bullshit <laughs> like we do on our hikes. But anyway, be, before I go uh, deep and go off on a tangent, uh, I would like to introduce my dear friend, Mr. Eric Mayron. Thank you so much for joining us. On Thanks for having me, Lan. It's very nice. Very great. great so I, I, I wore a special shirt. I was trying, so I was thinking this was a difficult one because there's a lot of shirts that I have that I think would be a really good fit uh, for this. Like I had my fishbone shirt. I had some other ones that I uh, pulled out, uh, but I felt kiss was appropriate uh, for you since uh, you were you're a fan and then you were commenting on the picture that I have uh, behind me. Big fan. Big fan, big fan. <laughs> was that was yeah, that your first concert ever? No, in fact, uh and something that, you know, though though, you know, when when a parent dies, you forgive them all their trespasses. And, but that uh when I was old enough to really have seen them, that my it was kind of in a they were playing at the Chicago Arena on the Love Gun tour. And I was like 12 years old and my parents wouldn't let me go because it was kind of in a dodgy neighborhood. And uh, and so a friend of mine brought me back a, a program. So I have a t- 
a kiss, a beautiful kiss to her love gun program. And it was part of the tiniest pile of stuff that was at my dad's house. It says, you got to move this stuff out, you know, <laughs> tiny little pile of stuff, including my OG, you know, Dungeons and Dragons books. Don't, you know, whatever. Nerd. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Nerd alert. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he got rid of that, but, but I didn't get to see them. But when I did get to see them was when they got the original band back together and I saw them first at the forum and everybody in my band went, we all went together. Cause it was, it was like a victory thing for us. Like our favorite band got back together. It was a wonderful show. And, and for us, it was special because uh, the forum was where uh, uh, Kiss Alive 2 was recorded. But this show was in a casino somewhere in Shumash, or I don't remember which one, and I'll look it up afterwards. But it was it was a really interesting show because they were all sitting there. It was an acoustic show. Let's call it sort of, uh, it wasn't really all acoustic because they had some instruments plugged in. So I wouldn't even call it a plug uh, unplugged show. They had instruments plugged in, but they were singing different versions and a lot of covers. And I couldn't believe how many like Zeppelin covers they were doing. So it was really cool. Yeah, very cool. And then, and have you ever seen uh, Paul Stanley do his uh, like Motown review? A friend, uh, show? friend, a friend or two of mine sing with him. They're, they're backup singers, Kit and Kit and Karai, um, and I think uh, possibly Melanie Taylor. But I know I know Kitten for sure sings with them. I love Kitten; such a great, such a great woman. What what you have a special shirt as well? What it's what's on? Well, this shirt? is something that I got custom because I've been this is a band that I've been with for a long time now. And one time to a gig, I wore you know it's like yours, like like you said. Well, you know, I pick out a t shirt to wear. You know, that's that old uh, that uh, um, tenacious D thing. You know, it's. It's hard, you know. We we've been through a lot of you know been through a lot of stuff to get up and and rocky here tonight. You know, it's a tough life being in rock and roll. Get up at the crack of noon and figure out what t shirt you're gonna wear. But uh, <laughs> you know, so I had worn. I've got this Chicago Cubs jersey, and I wore it. And it was, I was really comfortable in it. And then this thing a couple months ago. This was meant a few years ago. Um, a couple months ago, this thing where you can customize a like a, a jersey, and they have football and hockey and baseball and basketball customized a jersey and um i was like wow this could be really cool and really fun and i like the idea of the band's name in this kind of classic sports writing and it is the i play in the side band of norwood fisher from fishbone and uh, john stewart from fish who's now back in fishbone the drummer for fishbone he's 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 my bro bro <laughs> and i played together a bunch and I, <laughs> I love playing with john i love playing with them all but um it's like a who's who kind of comes through that band. It's a very cool band. It's sort of legendary. It's probably about 30. Uh, the band itself is about 35 years old now. Very hip. Well, what's, what's the name, the name of the band? band is Trulio Disgracious. And it's kind of a play on Julio Iglesias, of course. But it didn't catch that at all. Is that what it was? That what it was? No, I didn't get it. And so this, I got this cool <laughs> shirt. This cool. And a really cool number. 69, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um so you have a you have a, a poster behind you of sir elton john i see that was actually who i'm going to see i'm going to see tonight oh you're going I'm to the going dodgers to stadium show 
Yeah, a, a dear friend and a, somebody who started out as a client, but has been a client for such a long time. He's more like a, a big brother and family friend. Kim Bullard is the uh, is the keyboard player in Elton John. When Guy Babylon died, you know, Kim was uh, oh, wow. Kim was um, the keyboard player in Poco and then played in uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash for a thousand years. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Bullard, uh, and 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 Young was well. Young? It was originally, and then, but he didn't play in that part of the band. And I want to say that I think that probably, well, I guess they had that that one or two albums that really sold great. But Crosby, Stills, and Nash had a ton of success without Neil Young, you know. But anyway, we played in that, and then when uh, when Guy Babylon um, died a few years, you know, probably fifteen years ago, uh, Kim got the call. And that this is kind of a cool thing. Kim is tall and thin with long blonde hair. And the guitar player for Elton John, Davy Johnston, one of my big heroes, one of my big guitar guitar idol guys, right? That Davy is also big. I mean, he looks like he could be like Kim and him could be brothers. Mm. They're born on exactly the same day. Same wow. day. Do you think you think Elton did that on purpose? I don't think Elton knew, and I don't. It's possible Elton didn't didn't even do the hiring. He just said, "Yeah, this guy will be fine. Let's try him out for a while." Sounded just like Elton. <laughs> yeah, this guy will be fine. But bring him. In. <laughs> I kind of dove into this before, like uh, without actually setting it up, and uh, but uh, we'll get into your background, and all that stuff. But before I, I dive in. I have a question for you. So we usually well, uh, we hike people together. Love very yeah. love each other very much, like mommy and daddy, <laughs> and they want to express that love in a no, whatever. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, so we, we know each other. Thing, we, yeah. we 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 hike together. We talk and we we have these conversations, and we usually agree on most things, music wise and even comedy wise. So I have a question that kind of popped up from our text exchange uh, earlier today about flight of the Concord. That's interesting. Uh, you f- you find that very funny. I cannot connect to it. What's so like? I've watched so many clips. I like the individual shows. Like there's the the one dude, uh, Jermaine. I think his name is a yeah, tall Jermaine. guy. Uh, Brent, he, Jermaine. he does he does uh, this vampire show. That That's right. Do, have you, have, have is, you seen the new? Have you seen the original movie of that? I think so. And I thought that was he funny. was in the original movie. I don't think he's in the in the series. And they is not in the series. Then I saw the movie. It Whatever like, it was, um, they shoot it like it's a like it's a reality show. Right. right. I thought it was funny. So I found that funny. I was like, all yeah, right, I, I get the joke. It's really funny. funny. What about Taiki Waititi? You know who that is? No. Taika Waititi is, he's an actor and he's a, um, he's a director. In fact, he directed uh, the funnier Thor movies, you know, Love and Thunder and then um, Ragnarok, right? Uh, okay. But that, you know, oh, and he also directed um, Jojo Rabbit, which was really. Oh, I love Jojo really Rabbit. really funny and brilliant. And he plays Hitler uh, in yeah. Oh, okay. So I know exactly. Yeah. I, that movie is uh, is extremely weird, it's but weird really entertaining and, and funny. touching and funny. In fact, I I've always liked Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. But yeah. when you see her in that movie and she's balancing these different 
you know, sentiments and stuff like that. She's really, she's like, I just thought, man, she's such a great actress. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Really, really good movie. So going back to these guys, um, do you like the comedy aspect? Do you like the musical aspect? Or Did you ever watch the show? Together. <laughs> so, well, some, yeah. some of this, like the, the song, the songs were really funny, but I'm not, I'm not as into fun songs okay. as I am into, uh, into the comedy, right? I, I like just straight up and the comedy was really good. And, and their quirky personality, Reese Darby plays their manager. Yeah. And he's so good. In fact, Reese Darby did a TV show that was like, it was Cinemax or HBO. That was like, um, I can't remember, I can't remember the name of it, but it's about pirates. And yeah, I, it's on HBO. I, I know exactly. Yeah, well, that, that guy who's the main part in that, he plays their, uh, he plays their. He's great. He's great. I love him. He's in a well, bunch you know, of different shows. You know, the guy who plays like the real, the the pirate who, the real serious pirate who befriends him. Yeah. Who wants to leave. That's, yeah. That's Taiki Waititi. Okay. So anyhow, uh, but I think that it's funny. It's like there's, and especially the stuff they'll throw in about, you know, being from New Zealand and stuff like, uh, there was one time where, where Brett gets a new girlfriend and, uh, Brett gets a new girlfriend and, you know, they're, they're from, they're Kiwis, right? Yeah. They're New Zealand. And the, the new girlfriend is Australian and they say, and both uh, Jermaine and the managers are are quizzing Brent. Says, did she talk down to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the comedy, yeah, there's. I just don't get the music, man. It just does nothing for me. And I went to see the show, and I was open. I have a friend of mine who we both know got tickets, and he basically, I fought him the whole time. He's like, if you don't like this, you don't even have to pay me back for the ticket. That's how much I'm sure you're going to love. But did you, what I need to ask now is, did you stiff him on the ticket? <laughs> well, I didn't see him yet. I will <laughs> but I will make sure for, to stiff it's him a, on the it's ticket. It's on record. I will pay him. I will pay him back for the ticket. But man, it was just not, it was just well, not. Well, I really like him. And and that, that I, I don't know that I could go to a whole concert. They've been posting a lot on Facebook lately. And I'm like, what's this? I wonder if they're doing, and then you said, oh, I went and saw the show. But I, I do remember seeing that Brett was going to do a concert. And that it wasn't, they weren't billing it as Flight of the Concords. I know. Just billing it as, as you know, as Brett of Flight of the Concords. Yeah. I, I got a bait and switch. That's okay. I got a bait I, and I, switch. I, I understand. It <laughs> I thought it was going to be comedy. But that, that really, you know, he went on to other things. Uh, a producer who I, I know, you know, we, we haven't even gotten into, you know, my background and who I am and stuff. But a producer who I worked with a lot, uh, Mickey Petralia, who I, I just love Mickey. He's a great guy. That Mickey was producing the songs that Brett was writing for the new Muppet movie. You know, when they, yeah, well, he did the, he did the Muppet. I know he did the Muppet song there, which was, yeah. Well, he didn't write rainbow connection. Okay. (laughs) And actually, you know, did you ever see, I mean, you like concerts a bit. I can't imagine how you would have missed this one. It was Muppets live at Hollywood bowl. Yeah. I didn't see it, uh, but I, it was my, it was stellar. You know, they did it in the style of the, evening uh of the evening tv show bobby moynihan was the was like the guest host and i would say i mean you've seen a lot of concerts i've seen a lot of concerts at first when kermit came out and did rainbow connection not a dry eye in the house 
Second of all, and when I say house, I mean outside at the Hollywood Bowl. But when, uh, but when the the last part of the show was like a mini concert of Doctor Teeth and the Medicine, Doctor Teeth and the Medicine Review was done, whatever Doctor Teeth and and the band, right? You know, Animal on drums, you know, all this stuff. I gotta say, yeah, I've seen a lot of concerts. That was one of the best rock shows I've ever seen in my life. Well, Animal on Drums is uh, phenomenal. Yeah, I'm I'm here's I'm here's my thing. Here, here's my thing on 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 the Muppet thing. I, I have this rule: if you're gonna sing a Muppet song and you're gonna do the Kermit voice, it's really weird without having Kermit there. Like it just doesn't try. Kind of, like do it you're doing Kermit the voice. voice. He did it. He did the both. He there's a. A regular voice, his voice, and then there's Kermit's voice, and he's singing in Kermit's voice without Kermit. It was cringy. Because he's not, because he's not really Kermit. Oh. Or that, that he, he didn't that, he didn't really do the Kermit voice. He's not that <laughs> actor. Right. Makes sense. So where did you grow up? What? Say that one more time. <laughs> where did you grow up? I grew up, up uh uh, I had kind of a stunted childhood. I grew up in uh, the north suburbs of Chicago in a town named Skokie, Illinois. Grew up in Skokie, Illinois. And and then when I was 15, just after my 15th birthday, we moved to the same community where my mother's sister and her family moved um, about 10 years before, and that was to Thousand Oaks. So... Uh, what was your childhood like? Uh, parents together? Uh, parents weren't. I have one older sister who's two and a half years older than I am. My parents were together until I went to college. And that was confusing. But there were a lot of times my sister and I talked like Jesus would be a lot easier if they were just split up already. Because they just they just fought all the time. And it was it was these knockdown, drag out fights. I guess sometimes you know, that's just how people are. Yeah. You know, they just, uh, they, that's how they, you know, like, um, I would think that in a relationship, what you want to do is when you do run into conflict, it's not a throwdown kind of situation. You're not in a bar fight. You're just, you know, so somebody you love, you want to work it out with them. You want things to be sweet. So, yeah. If, I think people, and I, you said something interesting in terms of relationships. I saw that from my parents too, a lot. And yeah, you've uh, told me about that. Maybe it's a, Maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. But I think people don't really know how to fight. And that's one of the biggest issues. When people have a conflict in a relationship, they don't know how to fight. Nobody was taught how to fight. So you yell or you say a hurtful thing. And now it becomes a reaction to what you said. And you even forget the actual and now it becomes a reaction about. to what you said. That's such a deep thing. You know, it's like it. it's not... You know, really, that's one of the things what they say, like when you get into therapy, what I believe is like, you know, some people use therapy, like I'm going to use my therapy to point the fingers and blame and shame everybody in my life for everything that I'm experiencing. But I think a healthier approach to therapy, which I believe is what therapy is really for. And hopefully your therapist knows this enough and keeps you on track that, you know, therapy is to give you a skill set with which to deal with conflict and how to express your feelings in different situations and how to how to get your needs met how to how to ask how to put it out there how that you want your needs met in a certain way and it was, it was a great thing my uh my girlfriend and i actually got into we didn't have like a fight it's interesting we don't really fight but 
you know, every once in a while, one of us will rub the other a wrong way. And then if it's, if it gets too deep, we'll have to have a, a little reset talk. And then we talked the other night and we would, I just said, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to do this long form. Let's just do this short form and spit it out and get it done. You know, because also something that happens is when people try to work out a problem, well, this person says their thing. And then that person says their thing. And then in response to that thing, this person just repeats their whole thing again. And then this person repeats their whole thing. Hey, blah, 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 makes me nuts. But it's, you know, my girlfriend and I really, I'm fortunate that we are focused on being together and we're focused on, you know, how to make the icky stuff kind of go away as quickly as possible. I like that. I think I think one of the things you can maybe try if you're open to it is rub each other the right way instead of the wrong way, and uh, you can uh, make up quicker. <laughs> you know, yeah, you have, you have a bunch of great skill sets, but uh, but yeah, that that is a thing, you know. And then some, also some of that you can't deny that it's it's your parents modeling. And then also, if you're if you're in a relationship, you feel, you are you are in the vulnerable zone. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, when you when you're vulnerable, and I mean, it, it's necessary that you put yourself in a vulnerable position to be in a relationship. And then now you're getting hurt or offended or whatever in that zone. You don't know what to do, and there's panic that sets in. And often you will you will fall back to whatever it was that was modeled for you. So, so what brought you guys uh, to LA? Was that something that you initiated? You wanted to? Or, I kind of you know, love this Southern story. California. Well, my parents had lived out here prior to my sister, after they got married, and prior to my sister being born. And uh, that they moved up. The word is that my sister was conceived out here, and then they moved back to Chicago, and they built kind of a life for themselves out there. When I was about five. My mother's sister and her husband and my cousins moved out to Thousand Oaks. And we visited them one time. Of course, who doesn't love it? You grew up in, you grew up in the snow, too. When you grow up in the snow, you're like, I never need to see that stuff again, truly. Uh, and we just loved it. I remember it being, you know, we visited during winter break and it was Christmas. And we were like running around on the front lawn, you know, in our skivvies. And I'm like, this is awesome. And uh, my dad was a nuclear medicine research scientist for the Veterans Administration. And he applied at one point for a uh, for a transfer to Wadsworth VA in West LA, right? And it was weird. It seemed like forever. I thought that maybe that he had originally told us about applying for the transfer when he was, when I was about 12 years old, right? And when I was about, it would have been the winter of when I turned 14, which would have been 78 or 79, and because I'm old. Uh, and we're sitting at the table. It's me and then my mom and my sister and my dad, right? He had said, listen, I have something to tell you. It was at dinner when I just have something to tell you that uh, the transfer came through. So we just have to decide if we want to take it or not. And first they went to my, you know, and... <laughs> I okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and cut the chase on this. It, it goes to my mom, and my mom says, "Well, I'd I'd love to go to California, but I'm going to miss my friends and my family." And then my sister, who 
still only wants to be like my mom, uh, said exactly the same thing. Well, I'd like to go to California. Oldest child syndrome. I, 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 I would like to go to California, but I would only, you know, I would only, uh, I'm going to miss my friends and my family and blah, blah, blah. Gets to my dad and anybody knows how marriage works. Uh, then my father was said, well, I'd like to go to California, but I, I sure will miss my friends and family. And then it got to me, the youngest. I just said, what is wrong with you people? The only reason none of you want to go to California <laughs> is you're not the ones shoveling the snow. It's 12 years old. I had a bad back at 12 years old from shoveling the snow. You're not shoveling the snow. California will be great. California is the land of opportunity. Let's go get us some of that. And so we went to California. <laughs> I love it. So we did go out and it was, a, it was a great thing. And, you know, my mom and I had a real nice summer when my sister was a counselor at a camp and my dad had gone out to California early to start working the job. And me and my mom just hung out. We packed up the house. We had a fun time. It was a very sweet summer with me and my mom. Very cool. Uh, what was your first experience? It's a with tough one, music? man. Um, so it could be like... I, I left it open-ended because it's open to interpretation of hearing music and getting inspired. What, you know, what was that, that experience like? If you, and I, I grew up in Skokie, Illinois, which was a heavily Jewish community. And they, they built a really beautiful state of the art, huge building. Uh, it's called the Meyer Kaplan Jewish community center. Right. And when I was about five, my parents just signed me up for everything. You know, I got piano lessons and guitar lessons and pottery and judo and whatever. And, you know, it was just group lessons there. And then I just kept taking lessons. So that was really it. I, I liked it. Um, and also there was a certain thing in the era that I grew up that the big heroes, I guess in the counterculture, because I knew from a young age that I didn't want to be all mainstreamy and stuff. The really cool guys, the cool image was like, you know, the rock stars. And I thought, that is, that's so rad. And the sound of an electric guitar. And I want to I say this, that there was the way electric guitars sounded in the 50s and 60s. And then there was the way that a guitar sounded, an electric guitar sounded in the 70s. And that was crazy cool to me. Is that, is that Hershey? Yeah, she's snoring on my lap. <laughs> so that was that's why so it's an interesting thing to me like uh there was that experience and then seeing kiss and then but were you influenced like like you you got into lessons but you're like and you said there's a sound were, were you we listening to, to something all the said, time that some kind of radio on right. fog hat was big kiss became big um yeah i was not i just saw fog hat just saw them at the Canyon Club, by the way. I don't know if anybody from the original band is alive, but they were. They looked alive. Right. They, they looked were, alive. They were pretty old. Look alive, everybody. Uh, we'll fool <laughs> them, you know. Uh, but I think that uh, it was that sound of guitar, you know. Think about Slow Ride and think about. Um, uh, and I'm trying to think of. Like I, I used to joke around that I had these little red transistor radio songs. My grandmother bought me this little red transistor radio, and the world came to me through that, through that, through that radio. You know, we used to listen to talk shows and call in and call into the talk shows, and uh, we listened to all kinds of music and different stations. And at that time, 
like you had the pop music station, which played rock and roll and soul, and it wasn't so subdivided as it is now. So you think about like Smoke on the Water was something that got played like crazy on AM radio. And um, and then later, um, uh, the live version of um, I Want to Rock and Roll All Night, I just never forget hearing. And now I understand the way that power chord sounded had a lot to do with the bass interaction with the guitars was down, 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 down. Yeah. So beautiful. So big. And there, there's, when you're in a room and you're playing with an electric guitar, there's something, this beautiful vibrational thing that comes through. That is great. There was a lot of guys later who, you know, especially in the alt scene, you know, they grew up really strummy oriented and, uh, and very like thin guitar tone. I was never really into that. I was really into acoustic stuff. I was into folk and uh, rock and I guess that's it. Both my, my, my dad and mom always took me to the Skokie Valley symphony. <laughs> and yeah, I know it's, it's funny that you, you go into it because I was trying to figure out sort of, uh, what my own musical trajectory was because I, I didn't grow up in a musical household. My, my dad introduced me to the Beatles and then he introduced me to Pink Floyd and that was my first concert I ever went to. He liked them because uh, he grew up in the Soviet Union. You couldn't even buy albums. They had to get them snuck in. and you've, So you listen right. to the same thing over well, and over. Well, also in all fairness, and stuff. at the time, it wasn't like, oh, oh, let's listen to this now. Let's listen to that. Spotify, play this. You know what I'm saying? Go and you buy an album. Yeah, it was yeah, a no, big thing. Like you, I see um, songs in the key of life behind you. It was a big deal to me. Yeah. And that and that and that has massive uh, uh, liner notes. It's got a big booklet that came. Oh yeah, yeah. But I, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say, maybe not so eloquently, is at what point do you discover? And I'm saying this to myself, and I'll ask it. What is your music? Because I listen to my, this is my parents' music. I got it. And at some point, and I, and I remember there was a distinct moment. I, and I started getting into uh, early rap hip hop. I was uh, watching this movie called Beat Street and it really connected with me. And I wanted to break dance and we would get together with our, you know, our friends, the Northeast Circuit Breakers. We would pop and lock and have cardboards and do all that stuff. But I was seen in seventh grade. I, I, I remember this because I was trying to reflect back when it became my music. I, I started dating this girl, Cindy. I'm not going to mention her last name. I can't, I can't even believe that I remember this stuff. It's so crazy. But uh, I got a cassette of Aerosmith's greatest hits, and she loved Dream On. And that was our song that we can like hook up and whatever. So I was like, let me explore this because I wasn't really into well, I have, you know, I also that music. That, you know, even I heard it. I'm just a little older than you that I believe that like the Beatles and the stones, that that was the older kids music. That what I that was really the music of the, of the generation right before mine that, or maybe a little bit mine. And yet it leaked in, you know, Beatles had a ton of influence and leaked into other generations, but that. I'm saying the same thing as you. It's exactly what I'm saying is, is that was the leakage of my dad's influence. And at that point I discovered mine. It was Aerosmith's greatest his first. And then, uh, then Zeppelin was like, that, that was it. And from there I changed everything. Like I still like hip hop and I still love hip hop, but there I got into like classic. Or, or as the, they used to call it, that was rock. That became my, but music. that, um, 
But then, I mean, it is a thing. Like, I, stayed away, I stayed away from Led Zeppelin That's until right. I got to college because Led Zeppelin were kind of considered like they were sort of a Lodi band, right? Which I think that if you knew them and talked to them, you go, oh, these guys aren't Lodies. They're just, they're just, you know, musicians. They're just normal guys, kind of, kind of very mainstreamy guys. But that if you, anyhow, it was kind of a social thing. And my parents kind of had their eye on me anyway. I was the youngest in the family. And they were like, this one's might might going to be trouble. So I didn't want to give them anything that would push them over the edge. And so, but I, I when I was in music school, I I went to a conservatory-oriented music school when I went to college. It was UC Irvine. And I um I explored Led Zeppelin then and I, I really liked it. I wasn't that into the I've never been into the blues, because to me the blues is it's just really simple and repetitive and it's the same chords in a different key and but that they're they're mid late stuff i was just like wow this is mind-blowing such cool stuff you know i know that it was a, a big popular thing for american and english musicians to yeah you know to to always you know tip tip the hat to blues it's like why your music is so yeah. much more sophisticated my parents were I guess probably self-proclaimed intellectuals. I mean, my dad, my you know, my my mom had a master's degree. My dad had you know had his doctorate. You know, they, they I guess they could pass for for intellectuals. I guess, but um, but that there always some there always had to be some kind of sell with that. You know, in order to have them listen to Elton John. My my buddy Chucky Nelson, I believe, turned me on to Elton John when we were in second or third grade, something like that. And I got some of his albums, and that was. That was really cool. There must be something to it. And that was really his glam rock era. So I would say, even though I'm not a Bowie guy, we we texted a little bit back and forth about this. I'm not a Bowie guy. And I do enjoy Bowie. But because I'm really influenced by like sweet, love sweet, but mostly I, I love the sound of kind of glam rocky stuff. I really was turned on to Elton John's glam era, which was Goodbye, Ellibrick Road, and Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dude Cowboy, and uh, Caribou. And he went. He went some other. Then he went disco yeah. in places like. But those three albums he visited quite successfully. Glam rock. It was great, and people would say to me, "Orlando, I hear a lot of Bowie in what you do. Are you into Bowie?" And I'm like, "Not really, but I think it came from Elton John." Yeah, indirect influence. So the Elton John was big to me, and that particular Stevie Wonder album when i was 12 it was my first big boy album it was very very uh popular at the time and then uh i was into toto when they first came out i was into journey like mad because especially on infinity that first album steve perry like all the kids at school we were like this is this is really cool and then um i'm trying to think what is sticks because they were from chicago who wouldn't love sticks and then uh so a lot of that in fact then when I got to college and started doing college radio, they just poo-pooed all my favorite bands. <laughs> yeah, because it's not cool. That's those guys aren't cool. No, I mean, and that and that was punk rock and noise well, music. There, there was and, there was a movement of like pro progressive rock for a, a certain period of time. So they all these. Oh, I love Kansas. Love Kansas, but they which would be considered. I would say like they were progressive. Sort of. Pop. I mean, yeah, Kansas. Would you put him in the Steely Dan type of uh, category? No, no. I think I think of I think of them as more like an American version of somebody okay. like Genesis. Makes and sense. their early albums, they have all the extended 
extended things. In fact, Dixie Dregs, if you know who they are, that uh, I always said that Dixie Dregs are Kansas. They're like all the instrumental portions of Kansas, Kansas songs. And it, they were, you know, especially I listen to Kansas now. I'm like, wow, these guys were really See, doing I, I, different. I, I do love the blues influenced bands. All those, uh, you know, from, from the early like Yardbirds all the way through. Cream, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that cream, explains a all lot. that stuff. I love that stuff. <laughs> Clapton, uh, Jimmy Page, the guitar riffs, uh, old, anything Willie Dixon influenced, man, like that's that's my kind of uh, stuff. But I, I like everything, but that, that's my. But you and I talked about this that, like, to me, that like there's really in each genre, there's really guys who are just super special. And, you know, when I first heard Buddy Guy play, I, I, watching his hands and I'm like, oh, oh my, oh my God, this guy, it, it's like f- this fluid thing that moves through him and is playing. He's, he's so wonderful. When I think about, you know, uh, Martine from, um, from uh, Porno for Pyros and Colonies Monster. And in fact, I got to play with Martine in, club, in the club makeup band. He's one of those fluid guys, or at least he was at the time. Now he's just, you know. I just, I just think dad, I just think know? there's a certain buddy guy is perfect to to bring up because there's a certain energy when, when and a lot this about live music in general I don't think you can get the same energy if you're just listening to an album or or you're Spotifying when you see somebody live the music comes through them and they have a smile like they love what they do so much it's like seeing the Dalai Lama uh, talk you feel like they're talking to you and you feel this energy of happiness. The happiness that they have on stage by playing, it's infectious. And you get this only from certain players. Not everybody. Some people don't look happy up there. They're just doing their job. When they love it, man, you just you share that energy exchange. Glee always looks happy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't think Anthony does. <laughs> no, I've never seen Anthony look unhappy, although Anthony yeah, is more yeah. serious. If you think about it, like those guys are they're all athletes or i want to say that anthony is an athlete i don't know well, i don't know anthony guys, jumped off anthony- I, I know he surfs and all but I, I remember i read in his book he jumped off a roof uh somewhere and, and missed half the swimming pool and like compound fractured his arm <laughs> didn't feel it for a while so i don't know if you constitute like jackass stunts as being an athlete but yeah i guess it- <laughs> no but i know that he's you can always tell he's always yeah, been yeah, a workout guy you know, you can tell that from early on, like he was, you know, I mean, everybody had their thing, you know, while, while Flea was woodshedding, Anthony was, you know, that's, pumping, that's true. So did on. you uh, dabble in acting while you were in LA? Uh, not while I was in LA, but uh, my sister was a thespian mm. in uh, our school in Chicago. I always, I always liked the idea of that. And, you know, when I, I've, I've been in a couple of like student films and things like that. And I always have liked to express by by interacting with the crowd. But that, you know, my first play at uh, my high school in Chicago, I was in high, in high school in Skokie for one year. And it, the, the first show they did in the fall was Rainmaker. And, you know, it's freshmen through seniors. And there's only seven parts in the play. And I got one of the parts. And it wasn't it wasn't a walk on. And I, so I kind of was pleased with that. So I must have had some kind of talent for it. The, you don't have an IMDb profile? Um, and I, I do because I've done other stuff, you know, I've written music, it's been in movies, and then I've had, 
Uh, in fact, I, I was the role in this particular movie was called it was called Just Left of the Drama, and I played like Rudy, the roommate, or something like that. Were, were you were you on Punked at all? I was on Punked. Yeah, in fact, that was a great thing. My ex-wife. <laughs> I was leading you to say because well, I, mean, I had a lot of thing. stuff that I, I was going to say. I read amazing reviews of the guitarist on Punk. You read you read <laughs> reviews? Did they talk about that? <laughs> oh. Yes, everybody talked about. It. I was like, oh my god, this episode, the guitarist. Look, look at that guy. Fantastic. Well, there's a thing you know, like I, I play. I've been playing guitar about as long as I've been playing keys. I am an okay lead guitar player. I'm not a real shredder, but I'm you know uh, my. Uh, one of my one of a guy who played drums in my band who came back later as a music supervisor in my life, a, a really good friend of mine, Greg Sweeney, uh, that um, he he said to me, he put his nail. He says, "You know, Eric, there's something about playing rock guitar that even some very you know capable guitar players don't know how to do, and you understand what that thing is." And I agree with him. That I'm a really good rhythm guitar player. You know, I, I by the way, I loved the Chili Peppers, right? but I didn't. They weren't even a band until I was like 19 or 20. But that has that's a band that I've been into through all these different phases. Yeah. Anyhow, Fishbone got into when I was about 19 or 20 as well. But um, and I, I really related to that kind of alt rock scene. Anyhow, but my uh, my ex. So what I'll do is if I'm in a band and it's it's a band that I'm playing like a friend's band, I'm playing it for free, something like that. Like I am sort of, if I, if I had the choice, like I, one band in particular, right? I'm a much better keyboard player than I am a guitar player. But if it's a free band, right? If I'm just doing it for fun, then I'm going to play guitar. Right. You know, I'll, I'll save, I'll save the keyboards for when it's got to be now. Also because people, I can't explain this and it's not this way in Europe. But uh, or Japan or other places in the world, but it's this way in the United States and especially in LA that they just every nobody likes the keyboard player. They just think he's nerdy or weird. I'm like, just, but when really the architects of rock and roll were piano players, you know, it was yeah. Julie Lewis and uh, you know the, the true Richard, king, yeah, yeah, the true king of rock and roll was Little Richard, yeah, and and, and that it's like there is a pumpingness. In fact, I think that was what I really liked about Elton John is it was this pumping it wasn't like a bunch of plinky plink plink really here's my hands moving fast it was these big meaty wonk 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 chords you, you reminded me of a, a show uh so i went i went to see a show uh it was the reverend al green when he was the reverend al green and it was funny because he uh he's older at that point and he's still like Giving out roses yeah, to the women and women he's are the old Reverend Al Green. <laughs> and you want to keep your eye on the, you want to keep your eye on your woman around the, the old red. They're throwing, they're still throwing panties, but the panties are like bloomers now. <laughs> they're big panties. <laughs> That's something in my family. You know, when when um, when somebody turns forty in the family, uh -huh. the men get nose hair clippers and the women get a big pair of granny panties. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But um, so uh, uh, let me just tell you the lineup well, because you remind me. Right. So it was Al Green. It was Little Richard. Little Richard could barely walk, so he had he was helped uh, to the piano. But when he got on the piano, holy shit! His he didn't move like his feet didn't move the pedals really because he couldn't really I think move his feet. But the fingers were just wow, brilliant. And BB King it was all on the same on the same bill. Fantastic Man, show. If you think about it, like BB King was, he was like, he was the youngin, he was the tyke, you yeah. know, when they were all playing together. You know, it's like, oh, 
Junior, come on up. You know, it's well, his his stories, like his, the connection with BB. His stories, he's such a, you know, he went through so much uh, turmoil and uh, you know, growing up in did, the. Jim did Girls. you see the uh, Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like I'm not a big Elvis fan, but it was really fun, and I thought Baz Luhrmann did a great job of capturing why it was that Elvis was such a sensation yeah. and that it was a conservative time and, and, and not so much the, the blatant sexuality, mm. but that, you know, that there was something that, and that made the women swoon in a way that was a little, it was a little naughty, you know, when really all he was doing, it was shaking and moving his hips. But the thing I really, the thing that was really great about that movie was it showing his relationship with little Richard and with Muddy Waters and and BB King, BB, yeah, a hundred percent. That's what they talk about, you know, stealing the music and all that stuff. Maybe the Colonel did a lot of that, but he was part of that music and very influenced in that. Right, he was and in I, that I also love, I also love that about um, about BB King, uh, about uh, Bess Lerman's thing is he demonstrated he's like listen it wasn't that elvis walked in having grown up in suburbia and stole stole black people's music no he grew up in that neighborhood yeah in fact there's, there's a thing a great series called uh the history of rock and roll that was on got to be 25 years ago on um public tv and you can still you can still rent it but they had like one night that was blues and one night that was funk the funk night was really great but it ran for a week and i think each episode was three or four hours it was really wonderful and they're they're talking with uh, Lieber and Stoller, who are the guys who wrote all the old rock and roll songs. And he said, that the, and one of them would, said like, well, you know, uh, the, the people would come in, they would be like, how do you know our music? You know, it's like, you're not black, but you know our music so well. How do you know this? And they said, we grew up with you. Yeah. We grew up in your neighborhood. I thought that was the sweetest thing. So you want let me I'll get back to punk. So when somebody gets a gets in a um when I get into a band, if it's just gonna be a fun band, I'd rather play guitar. And in this one particular band that I'm thinking of, I played guitar and the other guitar player was strictly a rhythm player. So I even got to be a lead guitar player in that band, but I just played you know, the leads were simple right. melodies and I had fun times doing that stuff. It was it was great. You know, not everything is how fast not a, not every musical expression is a um is an athletic competition yeah you know that it, that things that move slowly are expressive sometimes it's hard for players to express through playing simple and slow and clear so anyhow my my ex my ex-wife was casting tv shows and she came across a listing for punked yeah we need a band for punked and when they brought me on they said do you want to play acoustic guitar or electric guitar i was like electric guitar yeah and so that was it and in fact i played i played this one right here <laughs> but um but that um it was that um who's the singer for third eye blind it's steven uh i, I don't remember okay good time <laughs> uh, but, uh, but his girlfriend was dating vanessa carlton at the time okay and the joke was that vanessa was going to come in uh, Vanessa was gonna was coming into town, and she was supposed to be on the Tonight Show. And they were gonna say, "Listen, your band can't come, but we have Stephen Jenkins. Stephen Jenkins, that's right. Uh, that we have this, um, and it was set up through Stephen Jenkins, right? We got this crack band that can play really great. They played with all our stars, and they'll learn your song, and we'll we'll do this, right? 
And so that was the thing is they were going to bring her in and they, she was going to play with us. Now, everybody in the band was really good. So what we had to do is we spent two days rehearsing. The first day we had to re rehearse the song and learn the song cold, which was really easy. And then we had to go in the song. And the thing was, we were going to punk her like she thinks she's going on national television with this band that's fallen apart. <laughs> right. And we were doing we we put in there all these places where we were going to like make a mistake. Right. And one of them, one of them was so funny. It was like there's four repetitions of a particular riff in the bridge. And then and then there's like a break. Right. And the drummer, you know, the drummer's playing. the <laughs> Right. And in our mistake. The drummer on the third time, instead of the fourth, at the end of the third time, goes, <laughs> realizes everybody's playing, and they get back into it. <laughs> but it's like it was filled with that. And so the so we we the first day we practiced learning the songs and then learning learning the mistakes that we were gonna make and practicing the mistakes we we're gonna make. And the second day, all day was spent practicing the song without and playing the mistakes without laughing. Because it was, it was so funny. It was it like, you know, we were talking about um, Fred Armisen yeah. and that uh, stand up for drummers and how he, how he, that that funny thing that he was doing with Trey Cool and somebody else where they're uh, talking about, oh, and then you'll make some kind of end joke like this, you know, like he knows those new, you could tell he was a musician because he knows those nuances. Great drummer, by the way. And he's really, really right. good. And really a great musician overall. And then you can tell he was really good and played in bands because he knew all that stuff that we do. But uh, so it was on that on that show and I really enjoyed it. And I've got a great picture somewhere of, you know, I came back from lunch, Ashton Kutcher, you know, produced the show. And he came in and we I would come back from lunch and he's, you know, he's got my guitar on. And I, I, I just walk up to where I'm supposed to be. He says, oh, I'm sorry. Is it cool if I play your guitar? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I said, is it cool if I take your picture playing my guitar? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I take it. And then the, the production people said, no, 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 you're not supposed to ever take a picture. I said, hey, I got his permission. But it was a really fun day and a cool thing. Dude, there's a lot of stuff like that that I've done that I've just kind of forgotten about. So, so let me ask you uh, more of a serious question. Kind of uh, maybe it's part philosophical too. Well, well then. <laughs> when two people love each other very much, it's about like it's about it's about like playing music and 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 uh, rock music in particular. Uh, there is a correlation between musicianship and uh, drug use, right? So when I know a lot of uh, musician friends and acquaintances and all that stuff, they at some point started saying, "Okay, it was a social thing because we're all doing it together." But then you sort of get into the mindset of, "I need this." to be as good as I was that night. Um, mm. So I don't know because I, you know, I, I'm not really, I'm not a musician. I don't get up and, and play every single night, but I can see where you can, you, you can trick yourself into thinking that, Oh, well, I'm better with substance a. So, so I can be that consistent. It create, it's more creative. Like I, I know cannabis when I was, when I was painting a lot, I, I I thought that it opened up some more creativity. Maybe I got out of my thinking head and just in the feeling space. Maybe. I don't know what that is about me. But uh, did you uh, go through any of those experiences uh, uh, in your in your career with uh, substances, et cetera? Now, I'll, I'll lead to where you are today, too. 
Well, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I'm probably, right. Well, I, I want to preface uh, that you are sober. Uh, but, but, but I'm, I'm a different kind of sober. I'm not, I'm definitely sober. Are you LA sober? I'm not, no, no, no. I'm sober, sober. <laughs> and that, but I'm in LA, uh, but that, uh, I'm not a huge 12 stepper cause I was more of a, it was, it was outlined for me later that I was more of a normie than, than anything. And that really, I got, I got sober because of problems that somebody in my immediate family was having. And um, and I thought it would be easier for the kid to to understand that we're just we, we we're just a sober family. That's we don't we don't mess with that shit. But that back in the day, I just smoked mad weed, and that was a big thing. And that I was never, and that really, you know, I was sort of a full service rock and roller. You know, I I did my share of experimentation. I never had the thing where I. You know, I had to hole up and continue to get more drugs and drugs. I couldn't see the outside. It was never like that for me. But it, you know, with sometimes with weed, it can be like a slow burn. Like you could you could burn years of your precious time, you know, smoking the weed. And then I would say to anybody that like, don't get into music because it will give you license to do these things. If you're going to do them, do them. I guess get into music because you enjoy playing. Because you enjoy the experience, you know, during a couple bands, not only with Trulio, but I, I played with them in Club Makeup many years ago. That's how I know them initially. And then also th after Trulio did this thing, we played in a, it, it, it spawned this kind of Pink Floyd, celebrity Pink Floyd cover band with uh, Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction, Norwood Fisher from Fishbone. And uh, when Norwood broke his wrist, we had uh, Tony Franklin from the firm comedy who's so good i just love tony yeah. but uh scott page it was his band who's the sax player and uh kenny olsen who was in the who's in the kid rock band but did some other things as well but but really and then also a, a young up-and-coming star uh um derek day who uh replaced the original singer who was um uh uh john stancorp who has his Amaz he's really got an amazing Pink Floyd uh, show that he does. He's in the Midwest and or that he do it throughout the Midwest. And that's called Signs of Life. So if you're in the Midwest, go see John's show. He's great. They're great. It's really impressive. Is, isn't Corey Feldman in that band too? Corey, is, Corey was in that other band. He's, he sat in with us a couple times. In fact, um, when we first did our first show at the Peppermint Club, just to kind of get out there and say, here, we're doing this thing. Corey played a couple numbers with us and um, uh, and Trulio closed the show because so many of us were there anyway. <laughs> and uh, and that our, the first lead singer was a singer named Robbie Wyckoff. And Robbie tours as the singer for um, Pablo Cruz, if you remember who those guys were. Mm -hmm. Huge, hugely successful in the records and radio arena. But less, you know, less successful as like, you know, this is my main band kind of guys. But for us, we knew Robbie because we were big fans of um, Phineas and Ferb. Yeah. And he sang on so many of those songs. And so we had a little rehearsal in my studio when we were just getting it going. And Robbie came over and I it was it was my time for my daughter to go be with her mother. But I said, listen, you're going to bring. Uh, I told the mother, you're going to bring her over, you know, under the guise that, oh, listen, we. Uh, uh, you know, you forgot one of your textbooks here or something. And then what was going to happen is that then we got just a sweet picture with Robbie and Leela with, with my daughter and with Robbie. Yeah. yeah but um, what 
was I going with that? Right. So I like Perkins. I think this whole thing was, you know, my my experience with Stephen Perkins, that Perkins loves to play and that for all the right reasons. And the band he was in, it's no secret that they were, you know, they were imbibers and that um, but that he has a thing, you know, most guys, when they when they when you're playing, you know, they're playing along, playing, you look at each other, and you go, yeah. Perkins, when you're playing, and I played next to him for whatever reason in the initial gigs, I chose to be in the back row. I don't, unless I'm singing lead for a band, I'm not the ego. I don't need to be up there, right? So I just was in the back. So I played right next to Perkins the whole time, right? For the entire run of every place we played. Mm. But when Perkins plays with you and he locks, he's like, he'll be playing, and he'll look at you. Well, he looks at you, he's like, And he's still looking at you. He's still looking at you. And he's like doing stuff with his eyes. And you know, uh, like that's, that's its own drug right there. He's locked so, in. He's locked in. Well, with you. well, that when you're with other musicians, that experiencing that exchange of energy is a, a great thing. And it always got me going. I thought it was a great thing. And I thought it's a great thing that he, that he cared to access that. Some guys are just like, they're cool. They don't. They don't need to look at you. Yeah, they're, they're not they're looking totally at their hands, but they're just like you know. Well, there's an energy exchange. It totally makes sense. And 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 Perk, like first of all, he did that drumming documentary thing that was, I I just that, that really movie. wonderful. And then you know, it's like all those slow shots of somebody playing. It was him who was featured. It was a great thing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about alopecia as well. So, uh, my lost mine. Got it all over here. Yeah. Um. So how, how did that start manifesting itself? It started manifesting when I was working in solar. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I took, you know, we didn't even talk about my main business. You know, I'm a technology consultant for recording artists and producers and composers. Right. And I thought that business was getting slow, but I, I didn't realize things about business like all business goes up and down okay. and things like that. So. Um, that I was so I you know I figured well solar industry is coming up so I worked in that for a while and it started with this little divot right here where I'd lose and you know and now all that area by the way has grown back it's pretty thick in there right now but then it spread to other places there's one point where I could grow there was no hair here and there was a part where like all this hair here was gone I had longer hair then so it was more like there was just a big blotch that was missing from there and but but it does I realized that it does grow back it can grow back and that also what I have is not as bad as what a lot of people have which is nothing they lose it all and my the newest one is that I lost my eyebrows. You know, I had a, uh, a friend, Mike City, come over a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, "Oh, you you shaved your your whole thing," and he's doing this. I'm like, "What do you mean I shaved this? I never had." It. He said, "No." I'm like, "Oh no!" I'm like, "No, no, I didn't shave my eyebrows. I'm not doing <laughs> goth thing." You know, I was like, "Who would go for this look?" Oh well, I guess some goth people would go for this look, but. Um, well, there's it's, two different types of alopecia. That's why I was asking. There's the alopecia where you go bald, and there's alopecia uh, areata. I think that's, that's what if I you have. pronounce I it. Where, right. where it's little, where it's circles. Well, that means so alopecia actually means bald. It means hair loss, and and the areata means patches. So if you have that, it's patchy, and you have a gen- so there's there are genetic predispositions to that. But there's also triggers by your, through um, 
immune. Uh, so your immune well, system. It's, a, it's an overactive immune system. Yeah, so your immune system over-responds or overcorrects to something. So the reason why I was asking you, if you were going through a lot of stress at that point in your life. I, I had to... Um, I had to accept that at first. I was like, "Going, what are you talking about?" It was, like, you know, I'd I'd had a, a, a relative die, and I got a got a bunch of money. I wasn't worried about how to pay my rent. It was nothing like that. Although, certainly at that period, I had to really look at the other things that were stressful in my life, and it was extremely stressful. And I'd gone through an extremely stressful time that it took maybe ten years to get out of. Yeah. But you know, you you learn to do things in other ways, like. You know, thank God I found my new girlfriend before I lost my eyebrows. Who knows what I would have done with that? But, you know, I remember coming to rehearsal with my hair like this. And, you know, my, uh, you know, Scott Page was like, oh, look, you got, you got a cool haircut. And, but my big thing has been like, well, it is, it might be cool, but it's, I'm really just kind of like, you know, making lemonade out of lemons, kind of what it is. But one thing that was interesting that I saw in some commercial recently is that, rosemary oil right which i was uh seeing a uh uh like a holistic uh therapist whatever holistic physician mm-hmm. and he recommended for me and i was like what the fuck is this gonna do and so i stopped taking but i heard about two days ago that the results of rosemary oil for hair growth mm-hmm. are better than minoxidil well i guess what i i'm, I'm washing my hair with rosemary oil my head because i really (laughs) but i want to talk about what you're what you're doing today because you start you started talking about that and then what what are the kind of people that you or who are the kind of people that you work with uh today and what kind of work do you do i have kind of an amazing uh career in that way you know even though it you know an amazing career doesn't always mean that you you own a mansion or the yacht that uh but that I've been really lucky because of when I I, I worked out of uh, Westlake Audio helping them. Uh, they they had a sales group that sold speakers that were designed that are world class studio monitors, right? And a, a pro audio sales group, kind of about eight or ten guys, people, uh, and they served everybody. They were really one of the most well known as as Westlake is like one of the you know especially at the time one of the best recording studios in the world. And I have a very kind of unique talent for tech. You know, I, I'm a great systems and I'm an engineer. I never knew what I was called, but I am an engineer that I keep not an audio engineer. I'm the type of engineer that gets things working. And at a time where Pro Tools systems were really expensive and recording budgets were high, that I was the guy and those systems were not really dependable. I was the guy who could keep your system running dependably. Mm-hmm. And so through Westlake, because this was before the internet, that people would go to a place like that so they wouldn't have to spend a hundred grand at Guitar Center and be spotted going into the place where everybody would drool all over them. And um, so I got a really great bunch of people, probably in the late nineties or early aughts. I kind of, there was other guys who started to be able to do what I did. And so I switched off to sort of evangelizing um virtual instruments and plugins and things like that and that's large and that brought me to a whole different crop of uh, clientele but uh you know i've worked with you know dr in fact i've changed changed the way hip-hop was made i always say this 
that Dr. Dre's uh, notoriety mixed with my ingenuity changed forever the way hip hop was made. And that is no lie. And uh, so I continue to do that this day. I'm, I'm a, my father was a doctoral biochemist and all the weekend projects somehow involved scientific method. So in the studio, it becomes a thing like if there's an issue, everybody just wants to raise their hand and have the right answer. And nobody's patient. Nobody wants to test. Just that people want to guess. It's like watching the first night of American Idol and everyone wants to guess who's going to win, you know, American Idol. It's that way. They just say, well, I want to, I want to be the one to have guessed it. I don't have a pride in that. I have a pride in actually solving the issue. Hmm. And so there would be guys who would be running tests to try and figure something else out. And instead of being focused on that one test, they wanted, they were thinking, and this is very much the record producer mentality or certainly the audio engineer mentality. We're like, well, what are we going to do after this? And then what do we do after this? And what after that? Blah, 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 blah. And my thing was none of that. You won't know any of that until you're done with this moment. And I, I'm really good at isolating the variable. And at some point, all my systems run well. And so I became somebody who designs new systems, recommendations, things like that. And I have a, my clientele is a who's who of people in the world entertainment business. And I have a lot of wonderful stories just about that. And uh, I'd love to do a part two where we talk about some of the stories uh, that you have. And also, maybe we can pick a. I don't want to say pick apart, and that's not really what I'm trying to say. Listen to some music or suggest some music. Deconstruct. 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 Uh, just give some opinions on different things that are out because there's so much interesting new music, and we always, you know, throw things back and forth. Like I was, I was listening to the new Arctic Monkeys, and I went to see them at a festival not that long ago. And I was underwhelmed. I like that one song that the they hit. Down 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 that one. Now I want to tell you when I hear that song, it says to me it, it speaks about the writing process because that riff is such yeah. a thing. It's like the guys in the band came up with that riff, and then they're like playing it. They're like, "This is a good riff, right?" Let's write around that riff, and then and let's yeah, let's do the riff. And then the writer guy came in and wrote the style of that vocal. It's like it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's in and out of that riff. And they say the word seti, which people in America are like, what the hell is he talking about? The search um, on my seti. On my seti. And a seti is a small couch, like a love seat. I didn't know that. I thought like <laughs> seti, like, you know, the search for a No, couch. that's what I'm saying. It was it was just an interesting written that's the show. I mean, to to dissect uh music that, that where are they from? The Arctic, obviously. <laughs> the, the, Where are they the, from? Are they- the UK. UK. British band. It's, it's a British way of saying love seat. They call it a seti. Interesting. <laughs> um, so I want to like to wind this down a little bit and we'll do a part two. And I definitely want to dig into, you know. We kind of have too trade. much fun. We could, I know. We can go on a like May Mayron show. It should be a whole separate show. But I'll record uh, it on a hike. <laughs> Let's do it. Man. Let's do uh, it. So I usually ask people about their experiences with cannabis. I don't know if you want to talk about it or not. Uh, do you care? What was what was your first experience with, with cannabis? Do you remember? Um, well, I, the first time that I that I tried it, I was 14 at a summer camp. I was a junior counselor. It was an overnight. The counsel the campers were in bed. 
the, me and this girl I liked and a couple of the older counselors. And when I say older counselors, meaning they were 15, maybe 16. I said, try this, try this. And, you, and, I, you know, and I remember the taste like it was yesterday, but I don't remember if I really experienced it. But then shortly thereafter, I did. You know, when I was raised, you know, it was in the 70s, we, there was a culture of, that praised experimentation. Yeah. So. Cool. So you, you didn't, you didn't not enjoy it, I guess, because you continued uh, doing it. First, first time, a lot of people don't really even feel uh, what are the, what I think they, they should be feeling. Like, like I said, I liked right? it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. And for this limited, for in a limited way, it made me feel just rebellious enough. Like we all knew people who would go out and they just needed to have the ultimate experience all the time. You know, they, you know, they bought a huge amount of cocaine or they took way too much acid or they, you know, they drank more than anybody else and became the least fun person at the party. Yeah. And, you know, like I never needed to be that person. I sort of wanted to have some healthy participation in the counterculture. I think that's probably a great way to put it. Moderation. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I think you already answered this. Uh, was the first concert you went to, was that Elton John or what was the first concert? <laughs> I oh, forgot. Did you? Some, it took us to a lot of concerts and there was a lot of orchestra concerts. My parents were uh, were super into a um, a folk trio called uh, the Limelighters. Mm, I know. In fact, I know. I one of them was uh, I think one of them was Lithuanian. Well, Alex, now I got now I got to listen. Alex, Alex Haslip, <laughs> bass player, I believe, was Lithuanian. But uh, but we, they were really into that. But you know, it was. My dad was first generation American and it was very typical like that. But we saw, I saw a lot of stuff. I think probably the first thing that would have qualified as a concert would have been seeing Beatlemania at the, at the Schubert Theater. Oh, wow. We're seeing, which Beatlemania was a show where four guys got up there and through set changes and style changes, they played music that traced the Beatles from the beginning to the end. It was real cool. And then I also saw um, uh, the original cast of The Wiz at the Schubert Theater. Wow. And that was real cool. But uh, my first real concert, I want to say, was maybe when I was 15 or 16, was Chuck Mangione. Oh, wow. I used to see him every year on my birthday. But then uh, later I got into more rock-oriented stuff. I saw Jackson Brown. I saw Cheap Trick when I was in high school. I saw Cheap Trick at the Forum on, on December 31st, New Very Year's cool. Eve show. Uh, my my business partner uh, Eric he saw Zeppelin in the Forum twice, which I think, I think Lisa, my girlfriend, I think Lisa saw Zeppelin once, and Lisa also saw Bob Marley. No, wow, she saw a bunch of cool concerts. I was That's never cool. in, you were into Pink Floyd. I really wasn't that into Pink Floyd, but I did see them on the Momentary Lapse of Reason tour, and I saw two of two of the people who were to become my bandmates in that uh, in that other uh that pink floyd uh celebrity cover band but as most people would consider pink floyd that was largely the end of pink floyd you know that was like oh momentary lapse of reason tour yeah you know it's that that really what they would consider a pink floyd concert was the four of them playing music yeah yeah that was my so that was my very first concert uh at jfk stadium well momentary lapse of reason yeah, the, when they great, got it back. was a great show, right? Great without but, Roger Waters, first one would drive up. Yeah, but, there, but there were three guys in the band, 
And about 45 people playing different parts. It was really, it was like when they say, the, you know, the beginning of the end of a band when they bring, you know, they bring three chick backup singers in a horn section on tour. They did the same thing with the Division Bell uh, tour, but their oh. stage show was freaking fantastic. And a Maybe lot of stuff they took from 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 the Wall tour, which was a, kind of an apex thing. But then, you know, like there's one song off of Left Overture by Kansas called "The Wall," and it's about that. It's about that concept that we build up a wall and we hide behind it. In fact, the third verse says, says "And though it's always been with me, I must tear down the wall and let it be." And then, then you know, they came out with with uh, the wall, and I'm like, "Oh, who cares about this? Kansas did it in one song." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, that that division bell tour, uh, the stage show that they had was like they had the spaceship that uh they, they had a disco ball in the middle, and I think maybe I was under the influence of psychedelics too, so it's super cool. No, <laughs> and then the the ball opened up and it became a spaceship, and it was actually just flying, and they, they had a plane crash and a pig. No, like they all had, this, they had the pig, and then they had the bed. Yeah, they had the they had bed, the bed. That came yeah. down and like. So what what was the last concert you ever attended, or you ever attended? Well, I, you I you attended. Going, <laughs> I stopped going to concerts after no uh, after the incident. Now um, I'm trying to think. What was the last concert I saw? I saw something recently. Gorillas. Gorillas. Yes. Me and my daughter will <laughs> see a lot of cool stuff. Uh, and, and then even when she was little, we would go to some cool things. Like there was uh, you know Yo Gabba Gabba, which you know a lot a lot of people know. There was a really cool alt ska band called the aquabats well those guys are the ones who made yo gabba gabba and um so we we took her to all these cool concerts when she was little and she she got to see um was it biz markey who did you got what yeah I'm, yeah yeah she got to see biz markey performing live that's cool playing that song at yo gabba gabba but we we just saw gorillas which was a great show such a good show and, you know, my friend, uh, I have a close friend from college that he said, man, I saw them on their first tour and they were just behind a screen. All the musicians were behind a screen. Yeah. I like that. How, you know, whatever, 20 years later that they're doing this thing now where it's all the musicians, the musicians are in front of the screen and the the screen stuff is there. But that, you know, listen, people do want to see you guys playing. I, I went to that show, the behind class. the behind the screen thing. I, I saw that. And then they had guest artists like De La Soul will come out and do their part. But all yeah. the musicians were in the back behind. We're not featured. Not like this tour they did now. Which, which is wonderful, you know, because great, the musicians yeah. are good. And he has a great, um, Damon Albert has a great and friendly relationship. I mean, it's like seeing, I mean, he's about my age, you know? Yeah. And so you see like somebody's and you're up there. He doesn't look like a rock star. He looks like somebody's dad, you know, and I, I explained to my daughter. He's going to be really happy to hear that. Yeah. Cause he's <laughs> going to tune in really uh, that, um, uh, that I explained to my daughter that he's the guy, his band did song number two. And you're like, yeah, dad, I get, I get it. <laughs> We had a great time at the show. I'm trying to think of who I saw, but I notable concerts that I've been to. I went, I saw Van Halen a couple of years ago with um everybody. It's like they couldn't get it right. They finally get David Lee Roth to come back and they can't keep Michael Anthony in the band. But that yeah, I know. that was a wonderful show. It was really yeah, I think we talked about that. I think I saw if it was the same tour, Cool and the Gang 
open up for Van Halen and Wolfie sure Wolfie played bass in that band. How funny. Cool. They had Wolfie, they had Wolfie. So cool and the gang opened. And I think they only had like two original members, but they had like 12 people on, on stage uh, playing everybody else passed. Right. And then Van Halen with David Lee Roth with Wolfie playing bass. Yeah. Yeah. Wolfie was great. In fact, I wanted to not like Wolfie, but he was so good. He's really, he's really wonderful. And then you saw that, uh, that concert, the Taylor Hawkins tribute, and he's like, he's playing the riffs. He's playing all the leads from, you know, hot for teacher. And he's just playing them so good. I'm like, yeah, he's probably been playing this stuff since he was four years old. Uh, no doubt. I mean, even if I go out and see his band mammoth, I think they're, they're really good. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, Damon is 54. So he's right between us. Gorillas. He's like, a He's like a main Mayron sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> the Damon Albert sandwich. Yeah. Well, well, I love how you're there checking my facts. You think he's listening to you. But it's my, my producer. Hold on. My, pr- my producer, please fact check. Uh, check the age. <laughs> All right. If nobody can see this on the keyboard. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you remember what the very first album you bought was? Uh, I don't remember the very first album I bought, but I do remember my very first big boy album because I had this very influential music teacher when I was in seventh grade, Vince Johnson. Mm -hmm. uh, And he was the one who actually sent me home. He said, okay, here's this recording. It was actually the song Spain by Return to Forever. He said, take it home. And he gave me a focus on learning chords and that the structure of songs was about the chords and how the chords went together. He says, and I want you to write out the chords for me and bring them back to me on Monday. And that had a lot of influence. And he was really into that um, Songs in the Key of Life album. And I come home, there was a, a Target-type store in Skokie, Illinois, called Turnstile at the time. And, you know, they had a record department, which actually, you know, t- uh, Target used to have a record department. They used to have a, a music department as well. But, um, you know, you buy CDs there. Crazy, right? CDs. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So you keep playing. But my mom brings it home for me, right? I was about 12 years old. She brings it. She says, look, I picked this up for you. And I, I took it out of the way. She hadn't wrapped it. I guess she didn't, definitely did not want me to, to confuse it with a gift. And I pull it out. And it's Songs in the Key of Life. And I still have it. Behind. Oh. And she brought me down. Like, this is great, Mom. Thanks. Thanks. Yes, I got this for you. But you're going to pay me back for it. What? <laughs> Yes, a dollar a week out of your allowance, which that that was about all the allowance I was getting was about a dollar a week. But I didn't really, you know, whatever. It's fine. Uh, I had a part. I was in seventh grade. I had a part time job. That's true. But that, uh, but that I paid her a dollar a week until I paid for it. And so my first, I I will never forget my first big boy album, which was Songs in the Key of Life. And it was like that, you know, like you got an album. It wasn't just that it, it was in Russia. It's that you know, with your dad, like that's how we consumed music then it wasn't that we you know threw ourselves into a river of sound and whatever stuck stuck it's that we would hear something on the radio i guess that was the river and then we'd go and buy the record and then we would put it on and we'd listen to it over and over and we'd read everything on the album and and you know learn it was just the way it was then um music is much more it's it's much easier to record now but it's also much more disposable i I think you just uh, one 
pointed out something really important. And uh, I was talking to Sasha, my daughter, about this. Uh, she was saying that there's a statistic about why people buy albums now. And they buy albums right now because it's a, sort of a nostalgic thing. And uh, But it's not album. As you said, it's full immersion into that album. That's what you have. This is your album. You don't have, you know, 300 albums or unlimited songs. You have that one. So you are listening to it and listening to it over and over and you're learning and you're reading liner notes and all that stuff. You can't do that with Spotify. I have no no such thing as a throwaway album. One thing I do like about Amazon music, even though I'm not a big fan of music, music streaming services, Amazon, just like when you watch a movie on Amazon, right? You press the button and it shows you all the actors who are in that scene. And then you could do kind of a mini deep dive on any of the actors right at that moment. I mm-hmm. like that. That's a cool yeah. thing for Amazon. When you're listening to something on Amazon Music, you you can look up, you know, if I'm doing my phone, I'm doing a phone action. Yeah, it's on, it's on your phone and you look up the, you're reading the lyrics right there and they'll have credits if where they're available. I think that's really cool. Very cool. All right, last question. Uh, we already uh, went over a lot of time, but it's, Yay. it's interesting. <laughs> I made it. Um, please describe what your room looked like growing up. Uh, at least one wall of the, oh, the wall next to my bed had a couple of different kinds of wallpaper on it. I had a fixture that looked sort of nautical bar room. What could I say? It looked like, you know, the wheel of a ship yeah. on its, on its side. And then it had these three things. The three light places had these, you know, like these pieces of glass with the chimney flare on the top. Right. And that's where they went. It was kind of like that. And then I had some some shelves. And then later when I got my electric piano that was in there, I had some wood, uh, some wood grain furniture. I had a desk and a couple of dressers in there. Uh, and I'm trying to think. I it was no no posters, no uh no art, nothing. I did, I did. I had posters. Um I'm trying to think of there was a magazine that I used to get. You know, remember Scholastic Book Club? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that there was a magazine they had called Dynamite, right? And I, which is kind of funny because I'm a big 3D head right now. I love 3D. And there was a kind of kind of interesting and a sign of the times. There was a King Kong movie that came out in the 70s, where instead of climbing up to the top of the Empire State Building, it climbs up to the top of the Twin Towers. Hmm. And so it shows them up there. So there was a, it was either a drawing or a photograph that was in 3D and you put on the red and blue glasses. So I had that up on my wall. There was a poster that came with Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. And I had that up on my wall. There was a poster that came with uh, Wings Over America. uh, And I had that up as well. So it was a lot of posters that came with, with um with albums and then my aunt and uncle were um manufactured my great aunt and uncle were manufacturers representatives for toy companies mm-hmm. and so i would get kind of oddball toys like there was a series of models did you ever do model making kits when you were a kid or you know loved what? models yeah you should build a shitload of those but there was a company that put out that they represented that put out the original like the um like the universal monsters, Frankenstein and Dracula and and they had like, you know, they would have to take them around to show to the stores 
so that the stores would buy them, they had a model built and painted beautifully. Wow. And I had their sample models of Frankenstein and uh, Dracula and one of George Washington crossing the Potomac. And those were on my shelf. It's pretty cool. I had my dad's old Heath kit hi-fi in my room. That was where I, that was what I cranked through a lot of stuff through. Super cool. All right. So where can people find you, connect with you, websites, well, I am social. on Facebook. I um I have a Facebook website. is that thing that uh we, well it's meta now but it's the social old people use it yeah thing for, for old people, people yeah yeah there we go uh, <laughs> I'm on Instagram as Eric Mayron Music I don't really post much there you know a lot of what I do, I'm, I'm oh I have a SoundCloud Eric I think it's Eric Mayron and and that's really a great thing that there's a a ton of music on there stuff that I I did with my band stuff I produced for other artists and um. And stuff I've done for TV and film, and it's just a it, it's it's a deep dive on Eric Mayer on the artist on that thing. It's, I really love the SoundCloud. It's a great thing. It's been been a cool thing for me. Oh, cool, man. Well, I want to thank you for your time and doing this. A lot of fun. We should thank you for having me. Too. I'm looking and, forward to it. Yeah. Uh, so thanks, man. Appreciate it. I'll see you shortly. All right. Thank you, Lance. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.